Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 24. David sat still and silent, stunned by their predicament. Naya and Jalil, even King, had fallen quiet too. Water gurgled underneath the vehicle. Floating serpents of fog slithered across the windows. We are not stuck here, David said firmly. Everyone stay cool. Naya clutched the armrest. Jalil muttered under his breath. King whined. He refused to accept that they were trapped. Only minutes ago, he had felt destiny touch him, like an electric charge. They were not meant to stay in this situation. No way. In the distance, he heard barking dogs. He twisted the key in the ignition with nearly enough force to snap the key in half. The engine stuttered, but did not catch. He pushed the gas pedal. Be careful. You don't want to flood the engine, Naya said. Don't you think I know that? He said. But then he eased his foot off the accelerator. Sorry. Only trying to be helpful. On the dashboard display, the engine light burned. What could be wrong? This truck had only 40,000 miles on the odometer, and he kept it superbly maintained. And he had only bumped the tree. The damage should be minimal. He tried to start the truck again. It fluttered, then caught. He urged it into a steady thrumming. I told you, he said. We're not getting stuck here. I'm sorry I snapped at you, Naya. We're all on edge. She smiled nervously. Enough talk. Let's get out of here, Jalil said. David shifted into reverse. The wheel spun, but the pathfinder did not budge. Oh no, Jalil said. We're stuck in the mud. Damn, David said. Tension squeezed his chest as the steel bands were tightening across his torso. We'll have to get out and push it, David said. He looked at Jalil. You and I. Naya can get behind the wheel and work the gas pedal. Man, you're crazy, Jalil said. There are snakes in this swamp. Remember? Pearl said so. Water moccasins. Those things are deadly. Yeah, I remember. David peered out the side window at the dark water. But we don't have a choice. We got to do it now. They'll be on our ass again soon. Even as he spoke... 
the vampiric dog's barks grew louder. King whined. Take weapons with you, Naya said. Ones you can strap over your shoulder, just in case. Jalil hefted the bulky flamethrower out of the rear cargo area and offered it to David. David grabbed the weapon strap and carefully opened his door. The swamp water was tar black. The murky surface purled only an inch beneath the truck. He stepped outside, and it was like plunging his feet into a tub of ice cubes. He sucked his teeth. Nia scooted behind the steering wheel. David shut the door and strapped the flamethrower on his back, as Mac had instructed him. Hit the gas when I give you the signal, he said. Behind them, the mist prevented him from seeing more than ten feet ahead. However, he heard the hounds getting closer. Their snarls echoed through the night. Let's go, he shouted to Jalil. On the other side of the truck, Jalil, his shotgun hanging over his shoulder, sloshed towards the front of the SUV. David trudged through the water. He knew virtually nothing about water moccasins, but he was alert for any sinuous movements. Driftwood littered the marsh, and green vines floated here and there, like disembodied tentacles. He came around the front of the truck. Insects fluttered in the headlight beams. The gnarled oak into which the vehicle had collided grew on a muddy wedge of earth. He stepped onto the island, and his feet immediately sank into the muck. Put a leg against the tree for leverage, he said to Jalil. We'll push on the count of three. Nodding, Jalil braced his body against the tree trunk. They put their hands on the hood, above the Pathfinder's headlights. David squinted against a glare. One, two, three. David raised his fist so that Nia could see the signal and punch the gas. They pushed. The tire squealed. David grunted, his muscles burning. The Pathfinder inched backwards, the wheel spitting up mud. After they had moved the truck about a half foot, they hit another rut. David gave Naya a sign to hold off for a moment so they could catch their breath. He sucked in great gasps of air. The bloodsucker mutts had stopped barking. Odd. He put his hand on the flamethrower, peered into the layered fog. A vampire charged out of the mist. It was Kyle. The fiend appeared to be floating on air. In truth, David realized, he was running on the surface of the water. Jesus. Look out, David said, to warn Nia and Jalil. He sloshed away from the Pathfinder to keep from blowing up the truck when he fired up the flamethrower. Kyle bore down on him. His eyes blazed like the flames of hell. Hunter! This is what it comes down to, David thought. Finally, the big face-off. He swung the weapon towards Kyle and pumped the trigger. The flamethrower emitted only a puff of harmless air. Roaring, Kyle backhanded David across the face. David soared through the air as if slugged by a giant. He hit the water and sank underneath, muck pouring into his nostrils and mouth. He flailed his arms, gasped for air. Thought he wouldn't make it. He was going to drown, but then he broke the surface, coughing violently. Blood streamed down his chin, and a numb pain spread from his nose and fanned across his face. Bastard had probably broken his nose. A gun banged. David wiped mud from his eyes and saw what was going on. Jalil had stepped away from the truck 
and taking a shot at Kyle. God, don't let that kid die. Please. The vampire took the hit without slowing. Kyle surged forward and smacked the shotgun out of Jalil's grasp. Jalil screamed in rage and threw a fist at the monster. Kyle seized Jalil like a parent grabbing a petulant infant. He tossed the boy across the swamp. There was a resounding splash somewhere in the misty darkness. Gotta kill that bastard, David thought. But he had lost a flamethrower in his fall. The weapon lay against a nearby oak, half submerged in the water. Still woozy from the blow he had taken, he started towards the tree. Then he stopped. A large black and green serpent slithered across the marsh, a water moccasin. It was coming towards him. When David shouted his warning, things began to happen so quickly that Naya grew almost faint with fear. Paralyzed in her seat, she watched David try and fire at Kyle, then fail as the vampire hit him, sending him flying through the air. Then Jalil, the brave kid, fired his shotgun at the vampire. But it was in vain. The vampire threw the boy across the marsh. Naya wanted to grab her gun, leap outside, and drill the monster between the eyes. But her good sense overcame her fury. Shooting at this vampire would be a waste of time. In the back seat, King barked madly. The window steamed up from both her and the dog's frantic breathing. Quickly, she rubbed clean a spot on the driver's side window so she could check the side mirror. The vampire was partly visible behind the truck. He had his back to her. From the sudden clamor of thunderous barks, she thought that he was summoning his minions. Certainly, he would know that she was in a vehicle. Perhaps he believed that he could handle her so easily that he could take his time. He underestimated her. You go right ahead, she thought. Write me off, you asshole. She gritted her teeth. Then she slammed her foot onto the gas pedal. Please, please, move for me, please. The truck roared out of the mud. Kyle whirled, caught off guard. The vehicle crashed into him, knocking him backwards into the fog. The snake slithered across the water. David froze, hands raised. He held his breath. He attempted to refrain from even blinking. His heart pounded so hard and painfully that he feared that it would be like a drumbeat calling the snake closer. The long serpent swam to him. Holy God, Father in Heaven, save me, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The reptile, its venomous fangs an inch away from his pulsing heart, seemed to see through him. David's lungs ached from holding his breath. The snake crawled around his torso, scales glimmering. He feared it would wrap around like a python and squeeze him to death. He saw himself sinking into the mud, chest crushed, face purple, eyes bulging. The water moccasin circled him once, as if embracing him. Then, it swam away into the soupy darkness. David exhaled explosively. Across the swamp, the truck bellowed. He looked up in time to see Naya ramming a Kyle, who had turned around too late to move. The collision blew the vampire into the water. David seized the opportunity. He rushed forward to the flamethrower. He grabbed it and, as Mac had taught him, 
open the ignition valve and punch the button to activate the spark plug. The small blue flame at the front of the nozzle hissed, ready to burn. Splashing furiously, Kyle started to rise up out the swamp. David chopped through the water, closing the distance between him and the vampire. Wobbling into a standing position, Kyle suddenly saw him. The vampire raised his arms protectively, and his eyes enlarged with fear. No! David had never killed anyone, but he did not hesitate. He pulled the fuel release trigger. A swooshing stream of flame struck the vampire and swallowed him, like a set of fiery jaws. The creature screeched. Insane with pain, Kyle rocketed into the air, to the crowns of the trees. The burning vampire leapt blindly from branch to branch. His howls, so human-like yet so alien, chilled David to the core of his soul. A splashing sound drew David's attention. Jalil stumbled out of the darkness. The boy looked a mess, mud streaking his face and slimy vines in his hair, but he was alive. Naya rolled down the window. Let's go, guys, before the rest of them come. High in the trees, the dying vampire continued his cries of agony. You drive, David said. He grabbed the rear passenger door. Before he climbed inside, he glimpsed myriad shapes in the fog behind them. But the creatures were still. They appeared to be entranced with Kyle's fiery demise. One shadow in the mist stood taller than the others. Diallo. He's really going to have it in for me now, David thought. I killed his son. David hustled into the vehicle, beside King. Jalil got in the front. Naya blasted forward. They found the trail and followed it through the rest of the swamp. All of them were silent. The silence was finally broken by a sound that did not come from them. It came from behind, reverberating through the night. A horrible, wrenching cry of grief. None of them questioned the source of the cry. They knew. It was Diallo, mourning his son. The muddy path that wove through the marsh changed into a dusty trail that curved between thick shrubs and finally ended at a paved road. David was relieved to see dry land. His dog was relieved too. King tried to stand in his lap and lick his face, and David had to put the dog back on the other side of the seat. The thunderstorm had passed. Thin patches of clouds scudded across the sky. Moonlight slivered the lonely road in the dense bushes that grew alongside it. I know where we are, Naya said. We're on the west side of town. This is Rice's Bottom Road. It'll hit Main Street about a mile ahead. Good, David said. From there, I'll know the way to where we want to go next. Where are we going, Jalil said. To my father's hideaway, David said. It's a cabin on the north side of town in the hills. We'll be safe there until morning. You hope, Jalil said. Think positively, Naya said. Only being realistic, Jalil said. I didn't expect any of the shit that we've been through tonight. Neither you did either, did you? David did not answer this question, and neither did Naya. They rolled along, quietly. The street lamps were burned out. Broken tree branches covered the pavement, like bones emptied out of a mass grave. They reached Main Street. David asked Naya to turn left. 
They drove into the small business district. It looks like a ghost town, David said. You aren't lying, Jalil said. Wind ushered leaves and severed branches across the abandoned sidewalks. Every storefront was dark. There were only a few traffic lights in town, and they gazed at the night with dead, unblinking eyes. Theirs was the only moving vehicle on the street. A few cars and trucks were parked along the curb, but judging from the film of condensation on their windshields, they had not been driven recently. When they passed a deserted police station, David and the others looked away. I wonder where everyone's gone, Naya said. I don't want to know, Jalil said. They're safe in their homes, hopefully, David said. At the meeting, we gave instructions for people to stay in and lock their doors. I hope they listen to us. With those bloodsuckers on the loose, it might not matter, Jalil said. They can bust in any place they want. David blotted sweat from his face, leaned back in the seat. Jalil was right, of course. These vampires didn't follow any silly fictional conventions. In their hunt for blood, the monsters would tear into as many homes as they could to satiate their thirst. And David and the others understood that once someone was bitten, the terrible transformation would begin. The town might be saturated with gestating vampires that would venture into the open tomorrow evening. The possibility curdled his stomach. We can't take much longer to finish this, David thought. Tonight, we nearly died. We'll never survive another night. Hey, look out, Jalil said. In the middle of the road, a trio of hulking, vampiric dogs crowded around what appeared to be a large carcass. Oh my God, that's a person, Naya said. David bent forward. Don't slow down, Naya. Go around them fast. The vampiric dogs began to snarl. They moved to block the roadway. Naya swerved around the beast, tires squealing. A hound leaped at the truck. Its blood-smeared snout thumped against the side window, drawing a shout of terror from Jalil and a bark from King. David gripped Naya's shoulder. We're past them, Naya said. David relaxed his grip on her. A glance through the rear windshield confirmed that the fiends had returned their attention to their unfortunate victim. He wondered who the hellhounds had attacked. He decided that he didn't want to know. He had reached his limit of anguish. Any more, and he would lose his mind. Better for the victim to remain a nameless stranger. Tell me where to go, David, Naya said. Give me directions. I want to get the hell out of here. High in the forested hills, Naya parked in the driveway beside the log cabin. Well, Jalil said, looks like you were right, David. I don't think anyone will find us here. My dad used to come here when he wanted complete privacy, David said. I checked out the place about a week ago. We'll be safe here for the rest of the night. David yawned. His watch read 102, but he felt as if he had been awake all day and night. He was eager to get inside and sleep. They unloaded their bags. David was keenly aware of the stillness of the night. They might have been in a remote area of the Colorado Rockies. Behind them, the long, tree-shrouded lane that twined through the woods was quiet and dark. David unlocked the front door of the cabin, pushed it open. He reached inside the doorway and flicked the light switch. No power up here either. 
We could find some candles inside, David said. They switched on their flashlights and filed inside. King promptly set about sniffing around the edges of the room. David gave the area once over to make sure nothing nasty awaited them inside, and then he locked the door. The cabin had been shut for many days. The air, as a result, was stale and heavy. David cracked open the window. They found half a dozen candles stored inside the pantry in the kitchen. David and I each lit one and distributed them throughout the place, suffusing the cabin with a warm, golden glow. Jalil lingered in the kitchen. Hey, is there any food in here? Jalil asked. I'm starving. Check out the cabinets, David said. I think there's canned foods, ramen noodles, stuff like that. No pizza and beer, unfortunately. I don't care. I'll eat anything. Jalil began to open cabinets. Naya edged close to David. Lines of fatigue crinkled the flesh underneath her eyes. Death had grazed them too many times tonight. It would be a long while before either of them looked or felt normal again. You look so tired, she said. Like I feel. I think we're all wiped out. But I won't be able to sleep a wink until we secure this place. She sighed. I knew you'd say that. You're right. But that bed looks so inviting. It won't take long, David said. While Jalil rummaged for food, David and I fortified the cabin. They pushed a heavy oak dresser in front of the door. There were four windows. They locked three of them and left one partly open to encourage fresh air to circulate. It's pretty unlikely that any of these precautions will hold back these bloodsuckers, David said. If nothing else, the sounds that are breaking in will warn us. Naya did not look comforted, and honestly, neither was David, but it was the best they could do. Food's ready, folks, Jalil said. Come and get it. It was perhaps the strangest meal that David had ever seen assembled on a table. Mixed nuts, granola bars, and beef jerky. To drink, they had the bottled water that David had packed in the small portable cooler. King would dine on a bowl of water and a few sticks of beef jerky. Naya blessed the food, and they pulled out chairs and set the dinette table. I'm so hungry, this tastes like steak to me. Jalil bit into a beef jerky. And that's why black folks need to stop eating their food well done. Because if a piece of beef jerky, which literally has the word jerk in it, tastes like steak, y'all overcooking your shit. Cut that shit out. Try medium, and then break it down a little bit further and try medium rare. Medium rare is where you want to be with your steak. Anything below that, all bets are off. Anything beyond medium is uncivilized. They spoke little as they ate. Each of them consumed with a single-minded focus to feed and replenish their energy. A breeze whisked around the cabin, making the thick logs creak and whistle. David flinched when he first heard the sound, then relaxed when he realized that it was only the wind. Sipping water, Naya suddenly burped. Sorry, she smiled self-consciously. How unladylike, David said. We ought to send you to your room, Miss James. You know better. I've got a better idea, Jalil said. We make her sleep on the floor with King. 
There isn't enough room on that bed for the three of us, and if she's going to burp like that, there's no telling what a mess she might make in the bed. David laughed. All right, that's enough, boys, Naya said, or else I'll make both of you sleep on the floor with King. Isn't that right, King? King looked up curiously from his space on the floor, as though wondering why they kept mentioning his name. They laughed. It feels so good to laugh, David thought. It had been an awful night. The laughter nourished his spirit just as the food sustained his body. The wind fluted again, a piercing cry, and the light-hearted moment of camaraderie slipped away. David looked around the table. We have to talk about our next move, guys. About the only move I can make is to the bed, Naya yawned. Honey, I'm exhausted. Me too, Jalil said. As soon as I'm done grubbing, I'll be out. I figured that getting a few hours rest would be a part of the plan, David said. We're in no shape to do anything else tonight. There would be no point in trying either. Like I said, the night belongs to the vampires. And the day is ours, Jalil said. You got it, David said. I say we get up early in the morning, we find Diallo's lair, we find it, and we do the same thing to him that we did to his son. Torch him. Naya shivered at the memory of the gruesome incident. Yeah. We take care of Diallo, and the rest of the vampires will be history, David said. Remember what Pearl told us? All these vampires together are like a monster with a hundred arms, and Diallo is the heart of the beast. Destroy the heart, and the monster dies. Okay, but how do we find him, Jalil said. He's not going to be at the Mason place anymore. He could hide anywhere that's dark and safe for him. We could waste all day looking, and then night will come again. He left the sentence unfinished, and the anxiety to flash in his eyes communicated what he feared would happen. David pinched the bridge of his nose. He was so tired that he was beginning to see double images. I honestly have no idea where he'll be resting, David said. We'll have to brainstorm a list of potential places, and then visit each, one by one. That's the only plan that makes sense to me. Yeah, me too, Naya said. Chewing on a fingernail, Jalil nodded tightly. Then that's the plan, David said. Tomorrow morning, we'll get to the specifics. Their meal and discussion complete, they pushed away from the table. As David cleaned up the remains of their meals, King shuffled to the door. The dog whined. You would want to go outside to potty after we barricaded the door, David said. King wagged his tail. I'll take him out, Jalil said, but you better be quick, doggy. Don't worry, he's a regular minute man, David said. They pushed the dresser aside. Jalil escorted King outdoors. Through a window, David and I watched the boy and the dog walking around the moonlit yard. He's a good kid, Naya said. A little stubborn sometimes, but brave as hell. A natural leader, like his father, David said. He sat on the king-sized bed. The mattress was firm. He patted the space next to him, and Naya sat there. He curled his arms around her waist, drawing her closer. He kissed her lips. I love you, he said. She pressed her body into his and energetically reciprocated his kiss. Love you too. Although he was wrung out and dread of what tomorrow would bring lay heavy on his heart, 
A powerful libidinous urge surged through him. He ached to make love to Naya right now. I wish we could have just one night alone with no worries, he said. Just one. We'll have it soon. We'll have more than one night like that, too. You'll see. She pulled him down onto the bed. They lay facing each other. He traced his finger along her cheek. She grasped his hand and took one of his fingers into her moist mouth. She glided her tongue across the tip of his finger, suggestively. You are something else, he said. But he was getting aroused. He moved closer to her, slid her hand across her hip. Then she dipped. He dipped. They dipped. Jalil and King came back inside. All right, y'all, Jalil said. Time to break it up. I'm not in there watching folks get their groove on. Naya smiled, whispered to David. Later, honey. They got off the bed, put the dresser back in place in front of the door, and David checked again if the three windows were fastened. Cool wind slipped through the gap of the last, partially open window. He would leave it open while they slept, to allow fresh air inside. He thought he heard, faintly, the sound of barking dogs. Frowning, he listened closer. What is it? Naya said. Nothing. He shook his head. Just my imagination. Sometimes, the memory of terror could be just as vivid as a real thing. He only hoped that he slept without nightmares. Like a storm cloud, Diallo traveled slowly through the night. He had left behind his army at the swamp, commanding them to leave him and hunt on their own. For only the third time in his life, he was too anguished to withstand the burden of leadership. He had discovered his son tangled in the branches of a water oak, high above the marsh. Kyle's flame-ravaged body smoldered like a dying ember. He was little more than a brittle skeleton held together with tenuous strands of charred flesh. My son, Diallo said. He could not say any more. Carefully, he extricated his son from the boughs. Holding Kyle in his arms, he glided to the earth. He began to walk. I have lost too much, Diallo whispered. I will not lose you. As Diallo marched through the darkness, Kyle's limbs swayed like branches in a breeze, clattering softly. The flesh was burned away from his skull, making his once handsome face utterly unrecognizable. Most critically, fire had swallowed his vampire heart, too. He was, without question, dead. I will not lose you, Diallo vowed. You are my only son. You must live. The wind rustled through the field in which he walked, tall blades of grass hissing like serpents. The fat moon gazed down on him, as distant and uncaring as ever. Diallo looked deeply into the dark, eyeless sockets of his son's skull. You will live, Diallo said. The breeze threw a fistful of dead weeds over his head. Resolute, Diallo journeyed through the darkness to bury his son. In spite of the terrifying day and night that he had endured, David slumbered deeply and dreamlessly his exhaustion rewarding him a sound sleep. He awoke to the pinkish-gray light at dawn slanting through the thin gaps between the blinds. King, ears raised alertly, stood at the half-open window across the room, 
staring through the glass with a peculiar intensity. David rose into a sitting position, his tired bones creaking. Beside him, Nia slept quietly. Jalil was asleep on the far side of the bed, snoring softly. The makeshift barricade in the front of the door was undisturbed. The other windows were shut too. What are you looking at, boy? David asked the dog. Is a squirrel out there making fun of you? King glanced at David. The dog wagged his tail once, but did not move away from the window. Wiping his eyes, David pushed off the mattress and padded across the cool hardwood floor. He rested his hand on the dog's back and knelt so he could peer out the blinds at the same eye level as King. A maple tree grew in the yard outside, its leafy arms extending it within a few feet of the window. A huge black bird had perched on a nearby branch. A raven. The raven. David's heartbeat accelerated. The dream image of Alicia, the beautiful and ancient female vampire, shimmered through his mind's eye. Feeling as though he were in yet another dream, he reached forward and grasped the pull cord, raising the blinds. They clicked upward. The bird's liquid black eyes found David's. Its stare was intense, and David thought, expectant. She's waiting for me, he thought, waiting for me to do something. The bird ruffled its feathers, impatiently. She's waiting for me to follow her. The thought came to him so lucidly that he wondered whether it had originated in his mind at all. Perhaps the idea had been implanted in his brain by the mysterious vampire who communicated with him through the raven. But follow her where? Why did she want to lead them somewhere? Pearl had said the vampire who controlled the bird might assist them in their mission. Yet Pearl had also cautioned them that Leisha had her own ulterior motives too. The raven cawed, as if pushing him to reach a conclusion. David made a decision based solely on gut instinct. Okay, he said, we'll follow you, wherever you want to take us. He could have sworn the bird smiled. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast. Copy and paste that in the Good Pods app. Thank you again to everybody who's checking us out on Good Pods and on Podchaser. I appreciate both. Uh, you could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. Thank y'all again. I greatly appreciate y'all. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is
single simulcast.